concerning the royal appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? But we ought to always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May this be to us a word from the divine. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes, and I am glad to be back with you, and I'm glad you're back here with me. <laughs> uh, thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music. Whew! Wow! <laughs> okay. <sighs> here we go. <laughs> I take a three-week break, and this is the passage I come back to. <laughs> Not a parable about belonging or a passage that's just conspicuously about you know, Egypt and Pharaoh and empire and all that. You know, that I... No. No. There's no... Soft pitching this. Uh, this there's no warm up pool in this gym. We're just gonna plop right into the deep end about the Antichrist. <laughs> Good Lord, uh, let's let's give it a shot though. Um, <laughs> so hands up if if you grew up with this reading having one like really specific meaning and we love to talk about it and think it's really important. If you grew up, hands up, if you grew up in religious communities that were obsessed with who this man of lawlessness is and when he would arrive. Yeah. Hands going up all over the place. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> well... To all of you who rose your hands to this, thank you for giving this episode a listen. I grew up reading books and blogs that fixated on a big old murder board of excerpts from uh, all over the sacred library we call the Bible, trying to decode how the whole thing ends. And this is one of those places with a lot of pushpins and yarn coming to it on the murder board. <sighs> 
Uh, this this was supposed to be one of the most important parts. Mm. But I'm not going to talk about that. It bores me. It's also not what the passage is about. But I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in how the whole thing ends. I'm hopefully following scripture here in trusting that we're always looking for where new beginnings emerge. Where new creation happens. That's how this whole thing works. That's the center of this Jesus tradition. New creation and the faithfulness that flows in and out of that. For some of you, maybe you learned uh, a different way of relating to this passage along the way. Um, that the uh, early Jesus movement really believed in a literal return of Jesus, and uh, that literal return of Jesus was going to be out of nowhere. So, so far, you're believing, you were taught that the, old, that the early Jesus movement believed what fundamentalists believe these days that jesus but for them they they believed that jesus was going to return within their lifetime they were caught up with a sort of end times fervor just like people today and this passage was part of it and they were just just damn wrong um so maybe we just need to leave this passage as one of their own little speculative dead ends their musings and certainties that well they were wrong about and maybe Maybe, maybe that's how you read it. Honestly, it makes better sense of things than thinking that there there's some script to how this whole thing ends or that this whole thing even ends. <laughs> but maybe they, maybe they were just wrong uh, about the return of Jesus and the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness or whatever. But again... That can't be the last word on it. It's just so boring. Yeah. If that's a reasonable approximation of what's going on here, then I'll say it. I love how this creates space for our own wrong guesses to be part, our own inaccurate speculations and musings to be something to preserve, to remember to keep woven into the tapestry of our stories as we live them. I I really like that, actually. Like, if the early Jesus movement got something this wrong and preserved their wrongness in their sacred library, whoo, there's a lot of interesting wisdom from that to farm from that, isn't there? Yeah. But that's not what I want to talk to you about today. Mm-mm. I want to just step back from winning and losing and getting shit right. And I want to look at how stories were indwelt and lived in back in the day and actually how they're lived in, in us today. So I want to talk about storytelling. First thing here. So... Jesus' tribe told and retold these deeply symbolic stories about what the divine is up to in history and in their history in particular. 
They were trying to figure out why the boot of megalomaniac jackasses were always on their neck. So one story in particular was written by this character Daniel. And this character Daniel told the story of four monsters that wreck everything. They breed chaos. They trample over the good guys. They feast on flesh. You know, typical monster stuff. (laughs) And there's even one boastful horn with like human eyes on it and a mouth that just spews vicious shit. And that it's been blasphemous and just raw ego on a horn on the forehead of a monster consuming the world. They had active imaginations. <laughs> now, eventually, in this story, the, this this person, the truly human one, uh, a lot of storytellers over the centuries have used the phrase the son of man to describe this truly human one. Uh emerges from the chaos of the monsters and enters the divine presence, presumably after being slain by the monsters, okay? And so the story goes, the the divine, called the Ancient of Days here, throws the monsters into the fire and gives the human one an everlasting kingdom. The monsters thought they had vanquished true humanness only to inherit ash. So Daniel says that this mystical vision is about the fate of his tribe, the same tribe that Jesus was born into, um, the Jewish uh, people, uh, and that these monsters represent four kingdoms or empires that will come and wreck this community and this land. And that after all this imperial jackassery, the people of the Holy One are going to be vindicated and get to share in the future of that land. So that's a story that Daniel tells, and it's a story that Jesus' contemporaries were telling to make sense of their context, even though that story was centuries old already at that point. So move the tape back to Jesus, and then to the author of this week's passage, Paul, who was writing it a couple decades after Jesus. But first, Jesus. Uh, Jesus uses Daniel's story of the human one and the four beasts to explain his story, what the divine was up to in Jesus. The story was used to tell his story, not so much as a predictive script to walk through, like, see, look how I'm fulfilling these precisely and meticulously predicted things, Mm-mm. but as a lens through which to make, sen- make sense out of what the divine is up to in Jesus. This is the deeper mm, working of what I'm up to, is what Jesus is saying when he talks, when he appeals to this story and claims that it's happening in him. The destroyers of the earth, the desacralizers, the blasphemers, the would-be gods, the polluters of sacred worth, the violent and the foolish, they lose. Even after they kill you. After the good guys seem to lose. People of peaceable 
neighborly fidelity will in the end win out. That's how this story goes. And Jesus embodies that peaceable neighborly fidelity. The 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 people uh, who God brings into new life. So that's why Son of Man or the Human One is his favorite nickname for himself. He's not just saying Son of Man is like some sort of like, mm, you know, I am actually human. Um, no, no, that's a phrase. It's like. Um, it's a phrase he used for himself out of their literature, out of their favorite stories. It's like if he were explaining his mystery in our time as being the boy who lived, or Morpheus, or the last Jedi, or Aslan, or Totoro, or Simba. What if that was his favorite nickname for himself? You know, like, do you get it? That's how these stories work. He's wrapping himself up in these sacred stories to help everyone make sense of what's really going on. So Jesus uses Daniel's monster's story like this about himself. But then, so does the early Jesus movement. And not just to reflect on what happened in in Jesus, but what is happening in Jesus. The movement that came to understand their own lives and life together as being a locus of Jesus' ongoing presence, the Christ consciousness, taking shape and flesh, um, and creating mischief and love in this world. Jesus' stories are stories about Jesus' movement, Jesus' people. So that story about Daniel's story about the four monsters and the truly human one isn't just a story about the person, the human Jesus but the humans, Jesus. Which means we've braided it right back. Jesus represents the people. The truly human one represents the people, and the people represent Jesus. So these stories about the Son of Man, about the human one and the monsters, they're people of Jesus' belonging stories. So when we get to this passage about rumors of Jesus' arrival, after a bombastic totalitarian emerges and reaps the death that he so generously sowed, hmm. Sounds familiar. Hmm. Jesus and Jesus' movement of humanity recovery is being given a kingdom after that colossal wreck. The story that climactically revealed itself in Jesus is still happening. This isn't a once-off prediction. It's a template for how resurrection happens. How would you read this passage from Paul's letter now through this lens of how stories are things that we dress our that we kind of cosplay yeah maybe that's the word for it cosplay what changes when you let history cosplay out of uh, yeah what happens was paul really looking for a literal man of lawlessness a precise person 
to emerge. Maybe. Roman emperors, one after the other, they fit the bill. And he certainly anticipated Rome's collapse as part of that long victory of the divine. But that's the cool thing about a story. Yeah, maybe maybe Nero or whoever fit the bill. But so did Herod. You know? Uh, so did lots of people. Identifying one historical outworking of the story totally misses the point and possibility of what Paul is doing here. There may be many people and situations all over the world, all over time, that capture this story of an imperial monster trampling over a neighborhood. Hmm. Echoes in my own city of gentrification there. <laughs> of, uh, there, there might, this is a story that echoes all over the place. Monsters versus neighborhood. Monsters versus true humanity. And people finding... People of care finding vindication in the divine light thereafter. Stories don't happen once and then get put on the shelf. They are companions to living lives of courage and compassion that swirl in and out of our history. They deepen reality's mystery but we settled with this story to pinning it very precisely to that one thing, the early Jesus story, and then to our own speculation on where that story is going, namely a second coming kind of scenario. We stretch it out of shape to help us win an argument, but forget to look at how this story may be repeating itself or finding echoes in our own day, not as fulfillment of a prediction but as the deeper web of meaning permeating this cosmos. And it's not hard to do with this particular story, is it? A lawless male of bombast, ego, and blasphemy. Hmm. That doesn't look like anything to me. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Mm -hmm.